Good evening. Welcome to our church service. I trust that you all are doing well and you're having a good time at home. In the sports world, whether it's in the majors or in a softball game in the backyard, there is a level of competition. Sometimes us believers shy away from competition as something worldly and not for us as followers of Jesus. But I believe a healthy competition is a good thing. I believe God created us this way to enjoy and be a part of. I do also believe that as well that we can be involved with it too much, just like a lot of other things. But this is not what my topic is about. After a good game of softball and the players played their hardest, there is a level of satisfaction. Even when you played your hardest in an even match and come out as a winner, there is a sense of accomplishment. In Paul's letters to the churches, he uses a lot of terms that are taken from the sports arena. The title of my sermon today is Keep Going, Don't Quit. Keep Going, Don't Quit. Text that I'm reading from is from Philippians 3, 7 to 21. Like I said, Paul, different times in his letters, he often uses the different terms relating to sports and applied them to our Christian life. In this chapter alone, he uses a number of terms. That I may win, follow after, that I may apprehend, reaching forth a prize, and I press toward the mark. And you can maybe find more. Just a question, though. Who is Paul competing with when he uses these terms? Is it fellow Christians? Is it the unbelievers? No. He's competing against himself, his flesh, the carnal spirit versus the Holy Spirit living inside him. It is the body versus the soul. He considered his body an enemy with which he must contend in mortal combat to keep it under self to keep it under control by self-denial, restraining oneself from indulging in something. And this next phrase is the key. He acted to keep the body a slave to the soul, not permitting the soul to be the slave of the body. Just a little bit of introduction to this chapter or even to the book of um, Philippians. The church of Philippians was started by Paul. Paul wrote the book of Philippians while he was in a Roman prison. When Paul wrote this letter to the church, they were going through some persecution and he wanted to show them and he wanted them to know of his satisfaction with their walk in the Lord, even in spite of being persecuted. And while I address persecution, I don't necessarily feel that this time that we're living in is persecution. It's just a situation that is um, a little difficult or a bump in the road. This church was a thriving church, and they were walking with Christ. 
just as Paul wrote to the church in their difficult time to encourage them to stay focused, to zoom in, to fight to win. I trust that we can stay focused on Jesus Christ while we are going through this bump in our lives. Our Christian life is like a race. There's a starting line, there's distractions along the way, and then there's a finish line. A runner usually has one thing in mind as he runs to the finish line. He has a goal that he reaches for, winning a ribbon, receiving a prize. This time I want to read verses 7 to 21 of Philippians 3. 7 to 21. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. In this passage here, there are eight goals that Paul gives to these to the Christians there. And I'm going to go through them one by one. Goal number one is we see in verses seven, eight, a goal to win Christ. At the end of verse 8, we see that Paul wanted to win Christ. What does it mean to win Christ? It means to gain something, to gain one to faith in Christ, 
to win him over to the kingdom of God. In order to win Christ, Paul had to lose something. What were the things that he had to lose for Christ? We can see in verses 5 and 6 the things that he had to lose. He was circumcised. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He persecuted the church with zeal. He also was blameless. He met all the requirements of the Judaism, all the man-made laws. He lost the things that were gained to himself, to his body, his fleshly desires. Paul thought that he had confidence in his flesh, and we see that in verse 4. Paul considered these things as his assets, but were now moved to the liability column and now added to a gigantic zero. Paul counted these things as loss. To count it as loss, it was as loss, it was a loss as applied to trade. It was a voluntary loss. He willingly traded his fleshly gains for Christ. When we think about a loss, we usually think of something bad, but this is a good loss. When we experience a loss, it can be a pivot point in our lives. The word loss is used only one other time in the Bible, in Acts 27. And it's a story about when Paul was sailing to Rome as a, pri as a prisoner on a ship. And they were caught in a violent storm. And the winds were um, beating upon their ship, and the waves were big, and... Um, and in order to make the to save the ship from sinking, they had to throw their cargo overboard to lighten the ship, the sinking ship. They traded the cargo for survival, which was meant to bring a gain to its owner. Their cargo that they threw overboard was a loss. And that's the same picture that Paul talks about in his own life. For Paul, the cargo of his past life had to be thrown overboard so that he might be saved and gain his spiritual life in Christ. In verses 7 and 8, Paul uses the word count or counted three different times. It means to evaluate or to consider. If you look at the way the word count is used, it is used in the past, present, and future tense. Paul has counted those things that were gained to him as loss when he became a Christian, and he even continues on counting them as loss in his spiritual life. It was never going to amount to anything. Paul describes his losses as dung, something that is worthless, that has no value at all. If we want to win Christ, we must count everything as loss for him. We cannot serve two masters. We don't win Christ because of the family that we grew up in or because of the church we go to or because we are considered as good people on the outside. There are many people that classify themselves as good, but they have not won Christ. The second goal that Paul had, we see in verse 9. A goal to be found in Christ. What does it mean to be found in Christ? Luke 22, 3 has the same idea. When Satan 
entered into Judas. Satan is an angel and could not possibly enter bodily into Judas. When Satan entered into Judas, it means that they were in union with. They had one mind. They had one purpose and they had one life. It also may be best understood by a man and a woman becoming one in life together and through marriage, to be in each other's plan and in life. Paul is found in Christ. He is made one with him, one in mind, purpose, and life. He is in union with him. How are we found in Christ? It says it is through the righteousness of God. It is not through our righteousness, the things listed, especially in verses 5 and 6. So how are we made righteous? It is by faith in Christ. It is by believing that what he did on the cross is sufficient for us to gain access to God. The Bible talks about this many times. We are made righteous by believing in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. The third goal that Paul had here, we see in verse 10, a goal to know Christ in power, sufferings, and death. In the first couple words, it says that I may know him. What does it mean? How do we know him? And what does it mean to know him? It's not just saying, I know who Jesus is. He was a carpenter's son. I know his name. That's not what it's talking about. To know him means much more than that. It means to have an intimate relationship, like a married couple. How do we get to know him? It is when we are found in him, like we talked about in verse 9. We also get to know him, know Christ, through his word and through prayer. Also through dependence on the spirit as he reveals the words and works of Christ through us. As we read his word, we will do what he says. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. We are one with Christ. Since we are found in him, we also experience the power of his resurrection and also the fellowship of his sufferings. There are three ways that we can know God's resurrection power in our lives. We experience that power when we are saved. Ephesians 2, 6, it says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Take note of, and hath raised us up together. It's when we were born again. That's one way the resurrection power has affected our lives. Another way, we know that power daily. The resurrection power. In Romans 6, 4, it says, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also 
should walk in newness of life. The resurrection power that we see daily is we also shall walk in newness of life. The third way that we can know God's resurrection power is we will know that power at the time of the rapture when our bodies are resurrected. I believe in this verse, he is specifically talking about our lives changing from an old man to a new man. When we have a newness of life, we change masters from Satan. Our flesh, the old man to being raised up by Christ. Having a new body, a new master while here on this earth. The old man is crucified so that we don't serve sin. We receive the Holy Spirit in our lives to give us the power to live right, to do what God wants us to do. The Spirit puts to death the things of the flesh so that we can live. Ephesians 4, 20-24 But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. In the new man, righteousness and true holiness needs to be evident, which comes from God. When we are dead to sin, it means that we have nothing to do with it and are totally separated from sin and Satan. When we are raised up, it means that we are wholly given up to and that we have an intimate connection with Christ. There is a little saying that I really enjoyed about the old and new nature that I want to read right now. Two natures beat within my breast. The one is foul, the one is blessed. The one I love, the one I hate, the one I feed will dominate. Which one are you dominating? Are you dominating the new nature? And that will continue on rising up. Are we living in the power of the resurrection? Paul was also willing to share in the sufferings, even if it meant death. This suffering is caused by being obedient to Christ. Another word for fellowship is to partner with, to have companion with Christ. The fourth goal that we see here in verses 11 to 12 is a goal to attain to the resurrection from among the dead. Paul is reaching out for this. He is striving for this resurrection. The word resurrection is referred to as an out-resurrection. This resurrection that Paul is longing for is what we know as the rapture. When the rapture takes place, some of the dead will be resurrected. The Christians, while some, the Christians are the ones that will be resurrected, while some will be left behind until the great white throne judgment. 
those that are counted worthy, those that have put their trust in Jesus and do believe that he is the Savior for mankind. These are the ones that will be resurrected at this time. And that is why it is called an out-resurrection, because only some of the dead will be raised up. Paul had his eye on the resurrection. Paul wanted to hear the words of Jesus, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He wanted to reach out to it, whatever the cost may be, if by any means it says there in the beginning of verse 11. He was focused. Different times in this passage, it talks about being focused, not being distracted. In professional sports, in order to win, a player needs to be focused. Pain does not stop them. When they are weary and wore out, they press on. The fans don't distract them. They press on. They are focused. <clears throat> there are two things that we see here in verses 11 and 12 that Paul had not attained, that he didn't lay hold of, that he was striving for. And the first one is the out-resurrection, what we were talking about. He had not finished his course. He was not glorified. <clears throat> the second is perfection. The complete work of salvation to the complete and glorified state. This does not mean that he was lacking in spiritual ex experience, that he was deficient in grace, that the body of sin was still cleaving to him. Paul wanted to seize this. It says that I may apprehend. He wanted to lay hold of it in the same way that Christ did to him on the road to Damascus. And the word apprehend has the idea like a football player grabs hold and tackles his opponent from behind to bring him down. The fifth goal that we see here in verses 13 to 14 is a goal to attain the high calling of God. At the end of a race or, or a football and baseball season, there is a prize. There is a reward. That is the same for us as Christians. There is a reward. The difference, though, between our heavenly reward and the trophy, trophy after the Super Bowl or a race is that the one is incorruptible and the other is corruptible. Back in the days of Paul, the reward after competing in a game was a crown made out of plants like wild olive branches and pine. But how long did those crowns last? They started wilting as soon as they were made. But the believer's crown is made of gold, and we see that in Revelation 4. It never fades away. It doesn't perish. Sometimes people get confused with rewards and have that the... Uh, and have the idea that the Christian's reward is heaven. May I just say this, that heaven is not the Christian's reward. Heaven is part of the salvation experience. There is a difference. We are rewarded based on our works. We do not get to heaven by our works. How do we reach our reward? Paul says in verse 13 that there is one thing 
We need to focus in, to zero in on one thing. Not ten, not five, not two things, but one thing. We need to bring our body into subjection, like it says in 1 Corinthians 9. This takes effort, discipline, takes consecration, concentration. In Hebrews 12, it says that we need to lay aside every weight and sin which entangles us. Are we focused on that one thing? There are three parts to this one thing that we need to think about. First one is forgetting those things which are behind. There is no victory in the past, only in the present and in the, and in the future. In a race, a runner does a lot of harm for himself if he looks back. He must always look forward. It is easy for us to get stuck in our past, but let's move forward. So what exactly are we supposed to forget? We need to forget our failures. People refuse to try and know Christ in the present because of their failures in the past. We need to look at our failures as opportunities to grow and learn, not as reasons to never try again. Thomas Edison the one who invented the light bulb made 1,000 unsuccessful attempts at, inv at inventing the light bulb. What if you would have given up at the 999th time? Thomas said, and I quote, I have not failed. I just made 10,000 ways that won't work. Let us forget our failures and move forward. Another thing that we need to forget is our successes. In a race or a football game, the players need to forget what they have accomplished. They need to do the next thing and succeed in that. Paul made a list in the beginning part of the chapter of his accomplishments. He was to forget about that. Even as an apostle, the chief apostle, and all the churches that he planted, he was still pressing on. He was forgetting those things that which, which were behind him and moving forward. Another part of the one thing that Paul was focused on is the next step. The next play, it says that I reach forth, or reaching forth. How much do you suppose that Paul was reaching forth? How much should we reach forth? <clears throat> but what if it hurts? What if we are tired and worn out? My friends, if we want to win, we must keep going. Don't quit when our body is telling us to quit. Remember, I said in the beginning that we are fighting, that we are competing against our flesh. A long-distance runner knows this feeling. There is a point in the race where the runner cannot take another step. But, but in order to win, he must move on. I strain every nerve and muscle and use every ounce of my strength to win. My future depends on it. I am running for my life. 
Another part of the one thing is pressing toward the mark. As a football player or a runner, you need to focus on the end. The end of the game, the white line in the stadium, which the runners need to cross. They need to keep their eyes fixed on it. Pressing on has the idea of running straight ahead without going left or right, without taking any extra steps outside the straight course. What are some ways that we can keep going when we are wore out? One, we can pray. Tell God how you're feeling. He does give us what we need. He gives us the grace which is sufficient for every day. Jesus knows exactly how we feel. It says that he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He knows our feelings. Another way that we can keep going when we're wore out is read God's word. I believe the more we read God's word and believe in it, it will increase our faith. <clears throat> Another way that we can keep going when we're wore out is fellowship with other believers. God did not intend for us to go through life by ourselves. We need each other for encouragement. While it has been a while that we have been together for church, we all still have access to a cell phone, computer for email, and we can encourage each other through those devices. Another goal that we see here in verses 15 and 16 is a goal to walk in unity. We do well to run the race, to press on, to follow after, to be focused with other believers. We need to all have the same goal as a church in order to live in unity. If we don't, there will be divisions. There will be strifes. Our focus changes from pursuing after Christ to focusing on ourselves. We will also be like children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine if we as a church are not focused, if we are not zoom in on Christ. The word walk in verse 16 is a military term. Us as believers are to stay in line behind the principles of God's word. And we must do it as a group. Let us mind the same thing. Another goal that we see here in verses 17 to 19 is a goal to follow apostolic example. Paul instructs his readers to follow after him as Paul follows after Christ, to be fellow imitators, to mimic. Paul, at different times in his letters, instructs his audience to do so. Philippians 4.9, it says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. 1 Thess Thessalonians 1.6, 
and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. And 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. When we want to learn how someone is faithful to God, we need to ask someone who is faithful to God for a long period of time. I have a couple of lists, things here of um, people that we should follow, and I just said the first one. Another way that we know if we want to follow someone, if we want to know how to have a success, successful marriage, we don't ask a divorced person. We ask someone who has been married for 50 years. Another way that we know whom to follow or how we can tell the people that we should follow. If we want to learn how to run a business, we don't ask someone who's failed in multiple businesses, but who is successful in their business. We are to follow them. And we are also to mark them, to look at, to observe. This is a blessing of having a local church family so that we can learn from each other and so that we can follow and so that we can grow. In verses 18 and 19, Paul talks about those that are the enemies of Christ, about the false teachers that led men astray. These false teachers have a different goal a different God, and a different glory than Christ, than Christians. <clears throat> they also base their decisions on earthly things, greed, fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. Their end is destruction. It is forever in hell. The eighth goal that we see here in verses 20 and 21, a goal to be glorified with Christ. And the first word, it says, or the first three words, third word in, it says, what does it, it says conversation. What does it mean by conversation? It means citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. It is where we belong. It is a place for all mankind. God created us to be part of this. But because of man's rejection of God, only some will be part of it. Next event in end time prophecy is the rapture where we will see Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. What does it say that he will do for us at this time? He will change. He will transform our vile bodies. The word vile bodies, it refers to the low state of sin and shame which the body of man has degenerated into. What is our bodies changed to? It will be like Jesus' glorious body. We will be changed from mortality to immortality, from a natural body to a spiritual body, from corruption to incorruption, and from weakness and humi humiliation to glory and power. <clears throat> we see that this is part of Jesus' work to bring all rebellion or corrupt bodies to an end, to subdue all things unto himself, to bring all things into his control. So during this difficult time, keep striving forward. 
Don't quit when it seems tough. Focus on Jesus. Zero in on him and allow him to help you. In closing, I want to read Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we have also our compass about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author of and finisher of our faith, before the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. Thank you, Lord, for the plan of salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you're in control of all things. I just want to pray, God, that you just be with us. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to keep on and not quit. Help us, Lord, to follow you. I pray, God, for our government leaders and our health officials. I pray you just give them wisdom in this time. pray, God, that you just guide and direct them. pray, God, that you just be with each one in our church body and help us, Lord, to be faithful to you. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.